Well, on this National Bible Day, or whatever that day was, take out your Bibles. Open to the Gospel, not the Gospel, uh, the book of Acts, chapter 1. I'm excited this morning after our uh, annual church leadership retreat that we had um, this uh, this past weekend. Uh, had our our council retreat, um, and it was it was. Thank you for praying. I invited you all to pray for us this, this past week, and it was a very good retreat. Um, and uh, you know you you know those retreats. Uh, your your company may. Uh, have those annual planning retreats or your work team may get together for that annual planning time. Um, you, if you, if you've been on those, you uh, routinely, you likely will have experienced this where you, you do it, you, you get together again and you're like, wait, didn't we just talk about all this stuff last year? Did, weren't we supposed to do some of this stuff last year? What, what what happened? Um, I was talking to my brother-in-law. Saw him briefly yesterday, and he uh, described the same scenario: flying out to California with his with his group, um, the company paying, you know, spending hundred thousand dollars to get everyone out there, and then uh, their you know their boss saying, "Guys, I'm spending all this money, and we're talking about the same stuff. This better not be the same story next year, or else." Something bad's going to happen. Um, so I'm going to read a story, a, a story that we're that we are. Um, if you if you come into church for a while, you've heard this story, and uh, I think it's going to offer maybe uh, it's going to offer some hope in that. Okay, uh, we're not the only ones <laughs> that need refreshers. And um, I, on carrying out a mission, and I think it's going to offer some 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 hope in in different parts of our life as well that I want to want to bring out um, in this story from from Acts. Let's read it, chapter one, verses one through eleven. In my former book, Theophilus. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates. The father has set by his own authority. And then Jesus gives them this mission or clarifies what he's said before to them about being sent out on mission. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit 
comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. So Jesus gives his disciples this this mission again, this clarifying statement, go out. I, I want you to be my witnesses. And he has said similar things to the disciples uh, prior to that, giving them this mission of going out and being witnesses. And it's interesting. Um, it's and and again, maybe hopeful for us to see in the disciples something that we see in ourselves. We need to be reminded. We need to be taught. We need to be reminded of this mission or this this purpose that Jesus gives to us. Because think about these 40 days that Acts tells us about where Jesus is with his disciples. This is after Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection. He's the risen Lord. He's meeting with the disciples for 40 days, um, our story says. And what is he doing during those 40 days? Well, the story says that he taught them about the kingdom of God. And, um, and, and we can only imagine what he was teaching them during that time. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew uh, includes many parables that Jesus tells about the kingdom of of heaven or the kingdom of God. And maybe during these 40 days with the disciples, Jesus is going over those parables, explaining them, reinforcing them, maybe clarifying what he meant by the kingdom or bringing some new teachings about the kingdom. I don't know. I mean, it's just fascinating to think about those 40 days where he's talking to the disciples about the kingdom. And here's what I find so fascinating And here's why it can be so difficult for us to stay on mission. After 40 days of talking about the kingdom of God with his disciples, what is their question? If you'll look in your Bibles at verse 6, what do they ask Jesus? Lord, so are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And in that question, we see the difference between Jesus' view and the disciples' view of the kingdom, because the disciples still saw the promise of the kingdom of God primarily as this political restoration of the kingdom of Israel. Um, For them, the nature of the kingdom of God is that there are insiders to the kingdom, and there are those that that should be left outside. And the kingdom of Heaven or the kingdom of God is for the Israelites, for, for, for God's chosen people and then everyone else. They should be left out on the outside. But what does Jesus say to this? He says, look, look, look around you. The kingdom of God is, is for everyone that you see. And, and start here in Jerusalem 
And there are a lot of Jewish people here in Jerusalem. The kingdom's for them, but I want you to look out a little bit. Look out throughout all of Judea, and, and, and you're going to find a lot of non-Jews out in Judea. A lot of Greeks, a lot of Romans. The kingdom's for them as well. And don't stop in all of Judea. I want you to think about Samaria and to the ends of the earth, Jesus says. The kingdom is for all people. You are to go out and to be witnesses of my kingdom and invite them in. I need you to go out and tell people what you have seen and what you have heard. Your eyes have been opened Now, go help to open the eyes of others. Um, So question, do you see being a witness of Christ's kingdom as part of your mission? I want to to, uh, look at three things this morning about the mission of a Christian and, um, and what this story gives to us to help us to to be about that mission of of being a witness to the kingdom of God. And if you there's not really any fill in blanks for this this sermon in your bulletin, but if you want to write down three words, write down these three words: power and passion and peace. Jesus gives us these three things: power, passion and peace so that we can go about his mission. So one, Jesus gives you power to carry out his mission. I want you to think about how this ascension of Jesus would have initially changed the mindset of the disciples, because for three years, uh, they had been spending every moment with Jesus. They had seen him do one miraculous thing after another. They were used to following him everywhere. He was, he was kind of running the, the, the show. Jesus, we're going to follow you. We're going to see what you do every once in a while. You include us. You give us something to do. But, but mainly, this is you working, and we, we recognize this, Jesus. Um, but during those three years, Jesus was always right there with them. And now he's not. So why this dramatic departure of Jesus in the story? Why, why the, uh, Jesus ascending into heaven in this dramatic way? Uh, Jesus could have... Uh, departed from them in a much quieter way or uh, more, much more subtle way. He could have just, like, not shown up one morning. Where's Jesus? I, I don't know. He's MIA. I, I don't know. Um, and him just not appear again uh, to them. Um, but instead, there's this dramatic scene of, of him rising through the clouds so all the disciples can see something. Okay, now there is a new way of us relating to Jesus. He's no longer walking like on earth next to us where we can just easily see where he's going and just kind of duplicate what what we see him doing. We, um, and we can't just sit back and do nothing because Jesus is, is not here to do the stuff that we need to be doing. Um. Now, here's the interesting thing, the kind of the counterintuitive point of this. 
the the ascension of Jesus means actually means receiving more of Jesus, not less of Jesus. It seems like it's receiving less of Jesus because he's he's not here. Um, but actually it means more, receiving more of Jesus. The disciples would be his witnesses, but they wouldn't be doing it alone because they're going to receive more of Jesus. So in John chapter 20, there's a story of the resurrected Jesus and Mary of Magdalene encountering, seeing the, the, the risen Jesus. And she was weeping at the tomb because she thought people had taken the body away and Jesus appears to her, and first she doesn't recognize him, and then she recognizes him. And, and, and she loves Jesus. And, and, and just imagine that, oh, you're here. And so she, she clings to Jesus. And what does Jesus say to Mary? He says um, something that, that might not quite make sense at first. He says, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Now, what does he mean? Does he mean, don't, don't touch me? Well, uh, just a few days later, he tells Thomas, touch me, Thomas. Touch, you know, feel, the, feel the holes in my, my hands and my side. So it's not that he didn't want Mary to you know, touch his body. I think this is what he was saying to Mary. Um, don't be afraid, Mary, to let go of me, because when I ascend to the Father you won't have to let go of me again. Why? Because I will be with you. I'm, I'm going to send something to you so that you will always have me with you. So back to Acts chapter 1 and verse 4, Jesus says, Wait for the gift my Father promised. In a few days you will be baptized with this gift, the Holy Spirit. I'm going to put my very presence in you, and it will mean more of me. Because before Jesus' ascension, someone needed to be spatially nearby Jesus to be in his presence. But now because we have a Spirit in us, we are always in his presence. Jesus' ascension into heaven actually means more of Jesus, not less of him. Um, so when Jesus says, I'll be with you always, it's important for us to, to realize this. It's not that Jesus is saying, oh, I'll be with you in my thoughts. <laughs> it's not that Jesus will be thinking of us always. I will be with you always, and I will be working through you. So I want you to notice something in verse 1 of our scripture. Uh, Luke, the writer of the Gospel of Luke, is the writer of Acts. And he writes at the beginning, in my former book, referring to what we know as the Gospel of Luke, my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus, what? Began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. I wrote about what he began to do. And now I'm going <laughs> to write about what Jesus continues to do. That's the implication of, of that statement, what he began to do. Well, the implication is he's, Jesus is still going to be doing stuff. Jesus will be working through the apostles or the disciples. So Jesus is saying, you're going to go out to all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And you're going to do my mission, but it's 
going to be me working through you. I'm going to continue to do my work. I'll be working through you. So when you carry on with the ministry of Jesus or the mission of Jesus, it's interesting, ministry and mission, by the way, if you like looking at Greek vocabulary, in the New Testament, there's not really a word for mission. Um, whenever you see mission, often it's the word for ministry. It's kind of the same thing. It's being a servant. You go out and you're serving. Paul and 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 uh, Barnabas, when they when they went out, they came back from their mission. No, what he's saying is they came back from their their ministry, ministry and mission, and the same thing. When you go about your ministry or your mission, realize, okay. I may not feel completely qualified or capable of doing this, but it's going to be Jesus working through me. It's going to be Jesus working through me. So I don't have to have this mission or ministry all figured out. Jesus will be working through me. That's how Jesus gives you power for his mission. Next word, passion. Jesus gives you passion. For his mission. I think I've shared this quote once. Uh, Garrison Keeler, I like it. Uh, Garrison Keeler once said, If life doesn't break your heart at least once a day, that shows a real lack of imagination. And what is he saying? He's, he's saying, uh, we, we have a vision of what life should be like. We, we see brokenness and it should, it should spark in us this imaginative quality that says to us, it shouldn't be like that. God has something better in mind that he will bring about. The brokenness of this world should give us a passion for Jesus' mission and ministry because we know that Jesus is on a mission to fix things in this world. Um, uh, I was talking to my brother, talking about my brother-in-law, uh, talking to him yesterday, and he, he mentioned something, and I, uh, I put it in the sermon today, and I'm not saying it how I wrote it in the script. We were talking about um, the kingdom of God. And as a pastor, I have used this vocabulary before. Plenty of times I've said, okay, Jesus wants wants us to go out and build his kingdom. Jesus wants us to go out and spread his kingdom. Have you ever heard that line? You probably have heard me say something like that. Have you thought of God's kingdom like that? We need to go out and we need to build. We need to advance God's kingdom. And he suggested, my brother-in-law suggested, you know, uh, I wonder if we should think of it instead like this. Like, the kingdom's already there. Like, Jesus has already built his kingdom. (laughs) It's there. What do we do when we go out? We invite others to live in the kingdom that Jesus has already established. Now, that's kind of interesting. Look at, uh, think about this image of Jesus ascending into heaven and he's hidden by the clouds. What, what is, what is uh, Luke, why does Luke mention clouds in this story? Is he giving us a weather report? Jesus ascended into heaven and by the way, it was a partly cloudy day. No. He is giving a, a lasting visual for us. 
and an insight into what the disciples would have been thinking. So Jesus is ascending into heaven with the clouds. Now think about this scripture I'm going to put on the screen from Daniel. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. There's this image that the disciples, when they saw Jesus in the clouds in the heaven, they would have thought, oh, that's, that's Jesus. This right here. From Daniel chapter 7, this vision that Daniel has, there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven in the sky and the clouds. And who was this one in the sky and the, in the heavens with the clouds? Well, he was the one that was given all authority and all glory and sovereign power. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And so it's not that Jesus is saying, okay, you need to really get out there and help me spread this kingdom of yours. No, all the world is the kingdom of Christ. He's laid out his kingdom. He has all authority of heaven and earth. It's all his. His kingdom is all around us. We don't have to go out there and build it. We need to go out there and tell people about it and then invite them to live in it, to experience it, to help them experience it. And so, many times being a witness of the kingdom means relating to a common experience that you have with someone and pointing them to the kingdom of God through that common experience. Oh, yeah, you, you're going through that job loss and are worried about income. I've been in that same, I've, I've been there. I've been there. Let me tell you, let me tell you about what the promises of God's kingdom means to me when you're going through that anxiety. You're, oh, yeah, I've been through that marriage struggle or that parenting struggle. I've been through that and it's wrecked me inside, but then I've remembered the peace that I can have because I'm living in the kingdom of God. Can I tell you about the kingdom of God or that health crisis or that, that, that death in the family of a loved one? I've been there. And let me tell you about the hope that I, that I have because I live in the kingdom of God. Can I tell you about that? That's how we can be witnesses of the kingdom that is all around us. And here's the deal. There was great urgency with these disciples to go and do that and be these witnesses. At the end of Acts chapter 1, um, once the disciples stop staring into the sky, they, they reconvene. They, um, they meet together and they, they choose another disciple or apostle. There was 12. Jesus chose 12. Judas Iscariot, the one that betrayed Jesus. He's no more. Who will fill that one more spot? Acts chapter 1 verse 22 says this. Peter is speaking. He says, we need to, we need to choose one. And the verse 22 says this. For one of these others, look at the language, must become a witness with us of his resurrection. We, 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 we got to do it because there's this urgent mission. We have to. Jesus chose 12. 
11 won't do. We've got to have 12 because the, the, the mission is that urgent. We've got to go be witnesses of his resurrection. We've got to tell people that our God is a God of resurrection. He takes dead bodies and one day will regenerate them into resurrected bodies. That's what God has in store for you and me. And the disciples are thinking, we got to let people know about this. But he's not just the God of resurrected bodies. He's the God of resurrected hearts, bringing sick hearts back to, to health, injecting joy and love and peace in a heart, taking dead dreams and bringing them back and making them new. God is a resurrection God, and the disciples are like, we've got to go tell people about this. God's intent is to breathe new life into the world. And, and then Acts tells about how these disciples go out. And I'm so thankful that they carried about this mission so urgently. You know, there's, there's, um, you know, there's church tradition that tells about where the, the, the disciples went and how we see them going to the ends of the earth as they knew it. Uh, the disciple Thomas, church tradition says the disciple Thomas went all the way out to India. And, um, uh, and, and it's interesting, around the year 200, uh, so this is well after the disciple Thomas, uh, missionaries zealously went out to India to thinking, okay, it's time for us to bring the kingdom here. And what did they discover? They discovered in India that, that uh, Christians were already there. They were reading the gospel of Matthew in Hebrew. In India, in the year 200, Christ said, Christ, Christ's kingdom was, was already there. Well, this urgent mission was carried out by Thomas going out and telling people about the kingdom of God there. The disciples Thaddeus and Bartholomew were said to have traveled to Armenia. If you were to get out of, you know, Google Maps, where's Armenia? It's, it actually shares a sliver of border with Iran. Not a not a part of the world that you think, ah, Christianity is booming there. Well, Armenia, throughout the centuries, Armenia has had this strong, vibrant Christian heritage and tradition there because these disciples went out all around the world. Philip, disciple Philip, met the the Ethiopian eunuch one day, and that, that man went back down to... To Ethiopia, he told the Ethiopian eunuch about about Christ, opened his his eyes to to Christ and his kingdom, and that 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 Ethiopian went back. And today, Ethiopia has has one of the most historic, long, deeply rooted churches there that has helped that part of Africa withstand the the spread of Islam because these disciples of Jesus took this mission so urgently. And so the question is, will you commit to carrying on Jesus' mission? At our council retreat, one of the things that we reaffirmed is that each person here at Hope is called to grow in their faith and serve in Christ's mission. Each person, I hope you, you, you as you're here this morning, you think, oh, 
this calling to, to be a witness. That's my calling. If I'm a Christian, that is my calling. And it's your calling. You must be a witness of his resurrection. That's what Jesus is saying. Not because it's a requirement for salvation, but because there's this inner motivation and urging that comes from gratitude of our salvation. We must be witnesses of the kingdom. Um, what's the difficulty? The difficulty is there's, there's a cost, isn't there? There's a cost of being a witness. There's always a cost. I love how Sinclair Ferguson puts it. He puts it so well when he, he talks about the spread of the gospel that we see in the book of Acts. And this is how he puts it. The gospel does not triumph without God's people in some way bearing the cost with Christ of that triumph. There is a cost when we are witnesses. And it could be that relational cost, like, okay, I'm going to tell someone about the kingdom, and I don't know what they're going to think of me. Maybe they're going to think that I'm crazy or that I'm just a fool or that I got my values all out of whack. What are they going to think of me? And, of course, if that person that you're sharing with is a family member, then that cost, it it just seems greater, doesn't You know, It's like, oh, what's my family member going to think of me? When I tell them this, so so maybe there's a relational cost um, to it, or maybe there's a financial or economic cost. Back to a brother-in-law, me meeting with him yesterday. He t- he has got a an Airbnb in his house. He's got an extra room. Airbnb's it. He's a part of a church that uh, frequently goes and ministers to homeless people um, in Austin. And he was doing his homeless ministry, and he just felt God say, you need to invite this young lady who's on the streets to stay in your Airbnb and get straightened out. Well, okay, so there was an economic cost for him. He's losing Airbnb rental money while this woman living on the streets is staying in his home and getting things straightened out. But that's being a witness of the kingdom of Christ that is, that is with us. He was a witness to her, helped her experience the kingdom of wholeness, but there's a cost. What does Jesus give to us so that we can recognize, yes, there is a cost, but that's okay. That's that's fine. That's good. We'll, we'll, we'll pay that cost. What does he give to us? Third word, peace. Jesus gives you peace to carry out his mission. Look at what the angels say in verse, assuming it's angels. He said two men dressed in white talking to the disciples. Probably angels. Well, what do they say in verse 11? Um, Why do you stand looking in the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you in heaven will come back in the same way. You've seen him go up into heaven. They saw his Jesus's physical body, like real flesh and matter body go up into heaven. He's going to come down the same way, flesh and matter, physical body. So Jesus, Jesus's physical body is not, not, the, is not the jumpsuit that he occasionally puts on. He has this physical body. Jesus in heaven remains as who he is, fully human, fully God. 
He's, he's the ascended uh, Lord with a real physical body. And um, look what the book of Hebrews says, how it connects the ascension of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus with what Jesus is doing in heaven for us right now, giving us peace. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses because he's the fully human, fully God, Savior, Jesus Christ. Fully human, he knows exactly what you are going through. He can empathize with us and our weaknesses. And as we evaluate the cost of being a witness. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 goes on to say that he is able to save um, to the utmost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives, Jesus in heaven, living to make intercession for them. How does Jesus bring you peace? By knowing the brokenness of the world and the brokenness that we go through, by knowing the experiences that we go through and the fears that we experience and what tempts us, by knowing that and then being in heaven for us now, interceding for us, praying for us. He knows exactly what you're going through. And when you draw near to God through Christ, Christ is praying to the Father for you. And when Jesus prays to the Father for you, the Heavenly Father will not let that prayer go to waste, will he? God will not let you down with your Savior praying for you. So let that be a thought that you carry with you from church today, that Jesus is praying for you, knowing exactly what you're going through. And maybe Jesus had that in mind when he gave his disciples the Great Commission. You know, we read about the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. When Jesus tells them, go and make disciples of all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And then Jesus finishes with this, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Maybe Jesus was thinking, I will be with you through my spirit and I will be praying for you. Exactly what needs to be prayed for you while you go about your mission. So, will you help? Will you commit yourself to Jesus' mission, uh, being this witness of God's kingdom? Um, you might be saying, yes, yes, of course. I'm not quite sure how to do that. 
you might be thinking, well, I sure want to. Um, with Jesus praying for me, I think I can. Not quite sure how to do that. So this is what the 40 days of prayer that we're going to have can be about. About us being witnesses to the kingdom. About us carrying out Jesus' mission. About there, there being outreach, growing outreach and renewal and, and an awakening. As we go about these 40 days of prayer, I, I ask you to commit to that. And when you're like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a witness for Jesus' kingdom, I'm not quite sure how. I promise you this. When we pray, when you pray for 40 days and draw close to Christ during those 40 days of prayer, he's going to show you. He's going to show you how. And he'll give you the power and the passion and the peace to do it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are yours. We are your... <laughs> we were the ones that you gave your life for. You, 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 you gave your life so that we could have life. We, our life does not belong to ourselves. Our lives belong to you. And uh, thank you for praying for us. Whenever anxiety fills our hearts, Lord Jesus, just remind us. May that thought come into our minds that you are praying for us. And will you send us to be witnesses? Help us to uh, be bold in our faith and to notice others who need to be told about your kingdom that they can experience and be a part of just by receiving you as their Lord and Savior. Uh, Thank you for this mission that you've given us. Help us to be faithful. Amen.